Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Oh, that was cool. First time you guys thought I was just talking to a couple of you. So second time was much better. I even heard you online uh, saying hello this morning. That's how loud the second time was. Well, we're just a couple of weeks away from Easter, and I'm telling you, like, it feels like we just celebrated Christmas. And so it's amazing how fast this year is flying by already. I am excited that this year, that for those of us who feel comfortable, who feel safe, we will get to celebrate Resurrection Sunday live and in person, right? And those of you who are joining us online, we'll look forward to uh, having you online with us as well. But over the last couple of weeks, there's just been this stirring in my spirit of what God is doing right now and what he's going to do on Easter Sunday. And as I've been preparing these messages, my heart has been in a posture of gratitude. I don't know how we can look at the verses that we've been looking at and dive into the verses that we're going to look at today and, and, and not have our hearts stirred with emotion. As we think about what God has done for us, as we think about what Jesus has done for us, as we consider Passion Week and the roads leading up to the cross, like I think it's impossible for us as followers of Jesus to not be caught up in the moment of what's happening here. And so I would encourage you, if you're not sensing any emotion as you think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, maybe it's time to do an inventory of your heart. In anticipation of what's to come for Easter Sunday, we're making room. We're going to have three different service times, special service times. Pastor Dan has mentioned it, but I'm going to mention it again. I mentioned it last week and the week before, and I'm going to mention it again next week because I don't want any of you to show up on Easter Sunday at 8.30 or 10.15 and you say, why didn't somebody tell me that we weren't having an 8.30 and a 10.15 service? So here are the service times for Easter Sunday. Are you ready? I said 8.15. Did I really just say 8.15? 8.30 and 10.15. Those are our normal service times. <laughs> I think I might have got confused. Here are the Easter Sunday service times. 8 o'clock, 9.30 and 11. 8 o'clock, 9.30 and 11. What time? 8 o'clock, 9.30 and 11. That's right. So pick one of those services for Easter Sunday. We'll look forward to seeing you and all of your family and friends as you bring people there. Well, we've been in a series over the last few weeks called Journey to the Cross. The first week we looked at the portion of Jesus' journey to the cross that led him to the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed there with James, Peter, and John, and we looked at the idea that the journey to the cross begins with a decision to obey. Two weeks ago, we looked at how the journey to the cross became the greatest comeback story for one of the disciples named Simon Peter. Last week, we looked at the idea that the journey to the cross begins with the trust in the all-sufficiency of Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at the story of two men found in John chapter 18 and their journey to the cross. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 18 this morning. 
Or if you're on a digital device, you can scroll to John chapter 18. It's also going to appear on the screen. You may notice that the screens are not where they were last week. They used to be right here. They've been moved out there. And next week, we are going to have uh, a different projection system right here at the center of the stage. So the lyrics will be up there. And then what you see on the screen right now will be out to the side. I want to thank Brian Huber and Drew Mummify for getting those moved this week. Honestly... I walked in this morning, and we were gone to Memphis for the week, and I walked in, and I saw these screens hanging here, and I saw the brackets, and I was like, I don't know that there's anything that the two of them can't do, you know? Like, it just blows my mind, uh, the ability, the wisdom, and the knowledge, and the experience that they have. So thanks, guys, so much, and anybody else who was a part of helping do that. And again, next Sunday, it's going to look even, it's going to, y'all are going to be blown away next week by how good this looks up here, this dimly lit gray thing is going to be gone in Jesus' name, and, uh, and, and instead the light of Jesus is going to shine bright onto a wall that's going to be painted white, and I'm just telling you, it's, you're going to like it. You're going to like it. John chapter 18, verse number 28, this is what it says. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, would we not have delivered him over to you? Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now verse number 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you make your word come alive to us? Would you open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you would have for us? In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to look at the idea that the journey to the cross begins with the question of what is truth. The journey to the cross begins with the question of what is truth. Pilate asked this question, and it's still being asked today. And it's important as followers of Jesus that we get the answer to this question right. It's crucial to the mission for us to know what truth is. Now, there were a couple of disciples that, when under, pre- under pressure, lost sight of the truth. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Simon Peter and how he denied Jesus three times. He knew the truth, but when under pressure, he lied. One of Jesus' other disciples named Judas betrayed him for a little bit of money. 
And so you have some of the closest people to Jesus who lost sight of the truth. In verse number 28 of John chapter 18, the rooster crows after Peter has denied Jesus three times, and now Jesus is led from Caiaphas' house to the governor's headquarters. And the second part of verse number 28 is ironic. It says, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. It's ironic that the Jewish leaders were concerned with ritual uncleanliness while they planned murder. The Believer's Bible Commentary says this about this passage. It says, The opening confrontation of Pilate and the Jews is described with subtle irony. Having cynically decided on the death of Jesus because it was more advantageous that one man die than the whole nation be destroyed, the Jewish authorities are nevertheless scrupulously correct in their observance of ritual purity. They do not hesitate to make use of the Gentiles to destroy their adversary, but they will not enter the Gentiles' house. Implicitly, there may have been another element of irony. They fear that ritual impurity will prevent their eating the Passover lamb, but unwittingly they are delivering up to death him who is the Lamb of God, and thus they are making possible the true Passover. The whole story leading up to the cross is filled with what I would call, oh really, moments, or really moments. As we read through this, as we approach Easter, it's unimaginable what Jesus went through for us. To look at the people and the events that led up to the arrest and the beating and the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, there are multiple moments where you could ask the question of how. How could people in one moment celebrate Jesus and then in the next breath be yelling for his crucifixion? How could those closest to him be such cowards? How could they abandon him in his moment of need? How could they see the miracles that they saw? How could they spend the time with Jesus that they got to spend with him and still do what they did and not do what they should have? Verse number 29, Pilate says, what accusation do you bring against this man, Jesus? And verse number 30 is bogus. And for those of you who have ever been falsely accused, you're going to relate to this passage and it's going to, like, your nerve just got grated right now. Like, you're, you're, you're braced for this. This is what it says. They don't have a case against Jesus. Jesus never did anything wrong. Any of the accusations that they made against him were completely false. And in verse number 30, they give this statement. They don't answer the question. They give this statement. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Do you really think, Pilate, that we would waste your time if it wasn't serious? This case is so solid that you can give your judgment right away. What's sad is the very people who are concerned about ceremonial cleanliness are bearing false witness against Jesus. And Pilate says to them, if your case is strong and your confidence so high, then why don't you take him and judge him by your own law? And in verse number 31, it reveals why they can't. Their answer to this question continues to highlight their hypocrisy and their willingness to justify their sin. Their thought process is if Rome will crucify him, then we didn't technically kill him. As followers of Jesus, can I encourage us to not look for loopholes or technicalities when it comes to sin? Instead of trying to saddle the fence, let's be people who try not to even get close to the fence of worldliness. Jesus isn't supportive of loopholes for sin. 
We can see that in the Sermon of the Mount uh, where he takes things to the next level. The Sermon of the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5 where he says, you've heard it said not to murder. But I say to you, everyone who is angry will be liable to judgment. He goes on to say that you've heard it said not to commit adultery. But I say to you, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. Jesus doesn't give a loophole for sin. Instead, there's an encouragement towards holiness and righteousness. And when we're looking for technicalities, we're missing the mark on, personal, on, on the personal holiness that God calls us to. So their answer in verse number 31 is that it's not lawful for them to put anyone to death. And then verse number 32 says this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. This gives insight into why Jesus was delivered by the Jews to the Romans. You'll remember the story of the woman caught in adultery that they were brought before, she was brought before Jesus. And Jesus instructs those who are about to stone her that whoever's perfect, who's never sinned, to go ahead and pick up the first stone and begin to stone her. Jewish executions were normally by stoning, which would break bones. The Roman method was crucifixion, and it was necessary for Jesus to be crucified by the Romans at the instigation of the Jews for three reasons. The first was to fulfill prophecies. So John chapter 19, verse number 36 says, For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look on him who they've pierced. This is why it couldn't be stoning, because stoning would have broken bones. Secondly, it was to include the Jews and the Gentiles in the collective guilt for the deed. Acts chapter 4, verse number 27, Luke records, For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had be predestined to take place. So the Gentiles and Jews were both a part of it. Figures couldn't be pointed at just one party. The third reason why it had to be done by the Romans was so that Jesus would be crucified. John chapter 3, verse number 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The Old Testament talks about a person under God's curse was to be displayed, hanged on a tree as a sign of judge sin. And so Galatians chapter 3, verse number 13, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. John chapter 18 goes on to record this exchange of conversation between Pilate and Jesus. And Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, is, is saying, is this coming from you or has someone else told you this about me? And Pilate disgustedly responds back to him and he says, am I a Jew? He says, your own nation handed you over to me. What in the world have you done that your own nation would turn you over to me for me to, and ask for your death? Verse number 36, Jesus says that my kingdom is not of this world. I'm so grateful for Jesus' response in that moment. I'm grateful that we have a bigger kingdom to look forward to, that we can be part of his bigger kingdom now, and that one day we'll get to spend an eternity with him in a perfect place called heaven. 
He said, if my kingdom was of this world, I would not have been arrested. My servants would have fought for me. In verse number 37, it says, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. I love that. Like he got Pilate to say that he was a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Pilate asked this question, what is truth? And the same question could be asked today. Now here's what I want you to catch this morning is this, that the Romans didn't claim to be righteous people. They were heathens and proud to be heathens. The Jews were the opposite. They claimed to be righteous and they claimed to be God followers. They were supposed to know better and they should have set a better example. But instead, they were the ones who were acting like pagans calling for the death of an innocent man. And think about the conflict and the confusion that must have been going on in Pilate's head in this moment. People who are claiming to be followers of God, yet for political reasons, are doing something completely anti-God. And Pilate asked this question, what is truth? Because what I'm seeing is that the Jews say one thing, the Gentiles say another, and Romans live by yet another standard of truth. But the reality is, is that the truth was standing right in front of him. John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. As soon as Pilate asked the question of what is truth, he goes back outside to the Jews, and without recognizing it, he suddenly turned away from the one who is the truth without waiting for the answer. He goes outside, and he tells the Jews that he has found no guilt in Jesus. Pilate's declaration of Jesus' innocence is important because he would die like a Passover lamb, a male in its prime, without blemish. And Pilate tries to come up with a way to not crucify Jesus. In verse number 39, he says, But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. And then John records that Barabbas was a robber. This is one of those really moments. Really, Pilate, if you find him innocent, then why wouldn't you fight for justice? Instead, Pilate was a weak-willed politician. Rather than doing the right thing, he tried to find a happy compromise that would please everybody. He displayed a, complete, he displayed a lack of interest in truth. Then he revealed a lack of commitment to justice. He lacked the courage of his convictions. If Jesus was innocent of all charges, then Pilate should have set him free. But instead, Pilate began a series of compromising moves to avoid dealing with the inconvenient truth in this difficult circumstance. Pilate needed to make a decision on that day whether or not he was going to recognize Jesus for who he is or whether he wasn't. And each of us are called to make that same decision. We'll either choose yes or no to who he says he is so here's what happened. Rather than release the innocent Jesus, they cried out for the release of Barabbas, a robber. Now the Gospels of Mark and Luke also record that Barabbas was a murderer. And so here this murderer, this robber, is in jail, and now there's this commotion in this crowd outside the cell, and he's got to be wondering what in the world is going on. There's a ruckus going on outside, and he's not at the center of it. 
He didn't start it. Maybe he thought that the Jews were finally coming to their senses and revolting against the Romans. Maybe he thought that they were coming after him, that this would be the time where he would be executed and receive his death sentence. But instead, in the midst of this confusion and chaos, the guards come and they unlock his jail cell. He's got to be wondering, is this the moment where it all ends for me? Is this where I'm going to get what I deserve? But Barabbas is led out in front of the crowd and he sees another prisoner who's bruised and bloody. And he wonders, what in the world did that guy do to get that treatment? And then just like that, his shackles are loosened off of him and he's set free. You can only imagine that Barabbas is wondering what in the world is going on. I'm supposed to die. Why are they setting me free? They look at him and they say, you're free to go, Barabbas. Jesus has taken your place. Jesus has taken your place. Wow. I wonder what went through his mind in that moment. I wonder if he thought, how horrible and awful must Jesus be that people are crying out for him to die rather than me? As he's let out of the court, I wonder if he got a look at Jesus. I wonder if he saw the look of love upon Jesus' face. And so Jesus, while on trial for speaking the truth in love, now experiencing a crowd who is his family screaming for a murderer to be set free and for Jesus to be crucified. But yet in that moment, Jesus would look upon a murderer with love. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me on the stage. This is why Jesus died in the first place. So that sinners could be set free. That murderers and robbers could be set free. As we consider our lives, we were destined for an eternity in hell, but because of God's love, we can be saved. Jesus rescued us from the punishment that we deserved. Jesus rescued us from the punishment that we deserved. When asked by Pilate if Jesus is the king of the Jews, he responded by saying, my kingdom is not of this world. And so if we serve a king whose kingdom is not of this world, where does that leave us? C.S. Lewis says that it leaves us in a perpetual state of longing for the weight of glory that will one day be ours. We catch glimpses of it in the here and now, in books and music and art and food. And what we're seeking isn't in those things, but rather through them we see a glimpse of the kingdom that is fully realized. So this place is called the already but not yet. One day we'll spend an eternity with Jesus in his perfect kingdom. And we eagerly await that day. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today or you've joined us online. You've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You say, today is the day that I wanna become a follower of him. I want to choose to recognize today that Jesus is the truth. Maybe there are others of you who've turned your back on God and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. Just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. 
You say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if that's you, I'm gonna ask that you would repeat this prayer after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. And this morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all of my strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things